Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Car Ride Conversations. As you probably already know, this is the segment where I bring the podcast to the guests. Uh, During this election period in Quebec, I've had the chance to sit and meet with different candidates from different political parties. uh, And I hope it's brought you a lot of value. Today I'm headed into Montreal. We won't be speaking with a candidate. Instead, we'll be speaking with a very good friend of mine. His name is Jonathan Kalis. Uh, he is a huge politics buff and he's been following the Quebec political scene for a very long time. One of the very first people that I got to meet when I started in politics. And it'll just be very interesting to see what he thinks of this whole campaign, how it started, how it's going, and how he thinks it will finish. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much. Enjoy the podcast. John O'Kalis, uh, thank you uh, for doing this, man. It's uh, it's about time. <laughs> we, we were, we've been trying to get this done forever, it seems. The world didn't cooperate. There was, you know, they decided to have a pandemic. Exactly, exactly. We couldn't socially distance. Uh, just for the benefit of everyone listening, you, just so we can set the stage, you are among the very first people that I got to know when I started in politics back in 2007. Yeah. Um, I, and I think it was at the Youth Congress. Or yes, whatever in, it was, La Pocetier. The, in La Pocetier. In the, the uh, dorms upstairs. That, that election, I think, happened end of March. I wasn't here. I was yeah. still living in Greece. I came uh, end of April, early May. I got the job in June. And in two months, I was at the Youth Congress. That's right. In La Pocatière, and you were uh, among the very first that I met. Uh, Remember that clearly. Those you know, young 15 years that, ago. That were engaged constantly in politics, always you know, having this uh, uh, interest in what's happening. You were working in advocacy back then. Um, how the hell did you get into this whole thing? Were you always... I, 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 we've spoken. I mean, I know that there's always been an interest in politics, but how do you kind of navigate through that interest and get that job and you know focus on that kind of career path i definitely not something you plan for sort of when i grow up i want to take this path um i some people when they get involved in politics you know they do follow what i would say is the normal path that neither of us took they're involved in the youth wing and they they're 16 years old and they go to a youth wing event and then they're you know, on campus and in college and they get involved in the club, uh, uh, you know, and and they follow the path and that becomes their circle of friends and their relationships. And, you know, um, it it was not the path I chose. I I don't, I wasn't really very actively involved in anything political in in Quebec, in Canada, uh, growing up. I worked, uh, you know, the 1995 referendum as a scrutineer. Mm Um, making sure that all the no votes got counted and they all mattered. Yeah. Um, and uh, different than in, you know, elections where you can win by 5,000 votes or one vote, you still win. Here, it was well, like every vote really counted. Time, right? So I, I remember doing that. I remember putting up posters for a couple of candidates, but that was about it. Um, my engagement, my involvement in society other than in school or in work was with the Jewish community. Uh, in Montreal, which I grew up in, um, both having gone to Jewish school, but also my parents were also very involved. My grandparents had been involved. So sort of the part of the family business was to be involved communally. 
um, raising money for charity, uh, young leadership training, all kinds of things like that. Definitely being engaged. But the truth is, is my political interest, the things that I actually was interested in, was much more American politics. Right. Uh, watched American elections. Uh, I was a real junkie for everything that happened in the States. Um, and also, I think, sort of coming of age as a, as a young adult, but into CJAP in university, was when Bill Clinton got elected. I'm sort of this new generation, younger, post, you know, baby boomer, post-war, uh, younger guy compared to Reagan and Bush and that, you know, there was something very dynamic and excited about him. And it just got me interested and I read about it and I watched debates and I sort of always connected, but I didn't get involved. I had, I didn't really do anything. Um, and I went to law school after undergrad. You know, I studied political science, but that, you don't get into politics because no. you study political no. science. No. And uh, I went to law school and um, practiced for about two years after. I hated it. <laughs> okay, and it's funny how life you sort of get full circle. But yeah, uh, you're back in it now. Yeah. I'm back in it indirectly in a sense. But um, it wasn't for me. And I sort of, I left it after a couple of years because I didn't want it to become my life where, you know, that's your life, that's your lifestyle, and you suddenly 40, 50, and you hate your life, and, yeah. and you sort of didn't look at other things to do. But when I left, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was sort of, I wouldn't say I was lost. I had, like, opportunities, but I couldn't figure out how to match my interests and passions. And I um, I saw a job posting for, for a job that was in Toronto, and I really didn't want to go to Toronto, but it looked like a interesting opportunity so I went for the interview and they said well we need somebody who knows Toronto you know to outreach and I said okay I guess that's not me <laughs> I said but we may have an opening in Montreal and that was for the Quebec Israel committee as it was called back then yeah. and it was to be sort of director of pro no director of programming programming associate I don't even remember the title um, but really do outreach and that's how it started, but where it starts and where it ends is uh, that's around when when we met. Like I, I had been oh, there about a year and a half oh, yeah, when we met. Well, it, it felt to me that you were there for a long time, and obviously now that you're telling me, it makes sense. I mean, the, the personality that you have, uh, it's, you know, I, I completely understand how you uh, had befriended all these politicians and staffers and have gone uh, had gone so close to them to the point where it felt natural to you. I only started in uh, November 2005, oh, so when wow. I met you was less than two years after right, right, right. I started that. And I'll tell you something, uh, as a political junkie that I was then and I am now, if I'm not sure I could tell you, uh, honestly, if I could name more than three, four Quebec ministers, I knew Jean Charest Back was then, premier, yeah, yeah. But, and I certainly didn't know anybody. I didn't know a single person. Um, I didn't know my local members, uh, you know, when I started. And... We had this pilot project in December 2005, so 17, almost 17 years ago, where we um, wanted to start connecting the Jewish community to young Quebecers that, for whatever reason, we had just not had those relationships. Um, and we, we organized a trip to Israel um, for eight young Quebec leaders, either student associations, you know, a VP of La FEC, a past president of the FEC at that time, and, uh, you know, some youth wing people from different political parties. And there I was with people very involved. 
and we went to Israel and the Israel experience was tremendous and I'm happy to talk about that but well I mean nothing nothing bonds you better but it's traveling with somebody and then it became sort of a the trip was one thing but it was coming home and building those relationships not just maintaining them building them I would get invited to events and parties and you know go to youth wing congresses that I was invited to I didn't know these things existed and I would get introduced to all these other people and you know in many cases I was the only Anglo Um, I was certainly the only Jew and um, I was always welcome I never felt unwelcome I I don't think I was not really invited I just I don't think anybody made an effort to invite Mm. people from my community particularly. And I'm not just talking the Liberal Party of Quebec. I'm talking about the Parti Québécois. At that point, the the ADQ. Um, and federally as well. So one trip became the pilot project, became this mega project that we were doing a couple trips a year. And, um, you know, when all was said and done 10 years later, I probably took about 400 people on trips. Um... And it expanded not just youth wings, but it became young professionals. Right. It was really targeting young people, but then we went beyond that. We took members of the National Assembly, took media personalities. And networking is effort. It, it's being, if you want to be engaged and involved, you have to make it a commitment. You've got right. to take the time to do it. And uh, I think you and I are a good example of, you know, we went on this trip... Uh, 13 years ago almost. I went when? In 2009. 2009. Um, and we stay connected. And, Absolutely. you know, we have lives. And, and, and you get married, have kids. We go, you know, I'm in Ottawa for three years. But you stay connected to people. Again, that's, you have to make the time. You have to make an effort. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I honestly, when I started, I say it. I didn't know soul. It, but it, it just goes to show how quick things evolve in politics as well, right? I mean, uh, in in the little time that you had when you started to put in place that project and then soon after that to see how big your network had grown, uh, it just goes to show you how, um, uh, how evolving this whole ecosystem is uh, in politics. And, you know, I've, I've often thought about you and other people that I met in politics that were much more attached to the Anglo community. And I look at what's happening now. Uh, and it's strange because there's a lot of people that I speak to that kind of feel orphaned right now politically uh, in Quebec. Uh, is that do you do do you resonate at all around that? I mean, the, the, do I do feel like a political orphan to steal Paul Saint Pierre Plamondon's term as orphelin politique was one of his 17 different movements and organizations he created um, for himself. Um, yeah, I, I do, to a large extent, um, but I also don't fit into the normal the normal structure of you know being an Anglo, and so I'm involved as an Anglo. Um, I, I'm not involved in Anglo organizations. Well, sure, or, you have a much larger involvement in politics, but I mean you're still attached to a community uh, that I feel the last couple of years has felt so disconnected. And I want to kind of... Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, but I think the difference is, uh, it's not a matter of better or worse, but I do have some criticism for, the, for how the Anglo community has, has approached this current election, 
the last few years and some of the issues have come up on language and identity issues. Um, so you think it, it, it's on their end? The ball was in their court. You think? Well, they, I just think I, th- I think that you know the have, government has had a, a job to reach out to the government and explain, or I don't know, uh, consult with them, uh, communicate, open that door. I'm not sure. I agree with the strategic positioning that the community has taken. Okay. Um, I don't know that there's a silver bullet, some magic potion that would have made things all good and everyone would have been happy. I don't think that exists. Um, but I think that my experience is, is, you know, you build relationships over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're only out there to complain and criticize, mm-hmm. it's very hard to influence. Um, so it's a fine line to say, we don't agree with this, which is which we don't agree, and we live in democracy and we voice it, but... I'm just going to play the devil's advocate. Yeah. Was any door ever really open for them to reach out to and actually do whatever they had to do to get their point across? I mean, let's say with Bill 21 and Bill 96 that they felt that the, the, the door from the CAC and the government side, assuming that it was closed. The Liberal Party didn't do its job either, I feel, like, in opposition. And traditionally, they've always carried that voice, right? That, you know, the, the, the Anglos kind of uh, positioned themselves traditionally behind the Liberal Party because of that support they always had. But was there a, a door there? Uh, I mean, Parti Québécois and Québec Solidaire, was there a door there? That's why, that's why I'm asking you, do you feel like they were kind of secluded or... You know, this whole mandate, it's been strange. I, I, and I've been thinking about the English-speaking and the, and the allophone yes. communities as well. But let's let's think back to all those youth wing congresses and conventions that we went to and mm-hmm. had some great stories from and had, a, had, had some great times. How many people there were Anglophone? Allophone, there was a chunk. But what was really, what was the Anglophone community that was really involved? Okay. Were they really at the table in decision-making positions really involved? What, what were the numbers? And that was 10, 15 years ago. What is it today? Um, I think, and we're going to have an election, and probably you know sooner than later a leadership race and a new <laughs> leader, um, and I hope they don't rush it, but there will need to be a new leader. Um, if Anglo's aren't happy and they feel taken for granted which justifiably so I think they have yeah they need to be around the table they need to be engaged and they need to understand that for the liberal party that instead of being at 80 90% support amongst anglos and allos they're at 40 50% okay they're at 5 or 10% amongst francophones and if if we went back and they had 90% of Anglo support, and they stood on their heads screaming and yelling that Bill 96 was the worst thing ever, that wouldn't improve their situation. Okay, the Liberals wouldn't be any more likely to win an election or influence policy. So the real question is, how do we get Francophones, who are moderate and pragmatic on language issues, Francophones though, okay, around the table with Anglophones, find some sweet spots where we can all make yeah, compromises like and something that we can sell to everybody else. Yeah. Because otherwise, this conversation is in an echo chamber because you're talking amongst yourselves. And the greater population outside of Montreal and really the West End of Montreal 
isn't listening. So we can say that the liberals did a bad job, and I would agree, but I also don't think that there was enough effort hopping up and down. <coughs> excuse me. Okay, there needs to be more thought into not throwing out one-liners. Okay, we're going to support this. Oh, no, we're not going to support this. Oh, it didn't go well. Oh, everybody's complaining. They managed to piss off everybody. So that, I mean, that that's, that's the result. It didn't work. You can't try to please everybody, but you need to find that sweet spot, and that's the challenge going forward. You know, it, it, it's people and, um, you know, I've been following, obviously, you know, the last mandate, how uh, how much of a downhill, especially the Liberal Party, has taken with its base. And um, I've always started, you know, I, I've been thinking, okay, how is this even possible? Because a lot of people are blaming Dominika Anglade for her lack of leadership. And I don't think it's necessarily her fault. I just think that she inherited a party that had already from before kind of started, you know, disconnecting from the base. And we felt it immediately. Um the fact that they cannot or haven't been able to engage this base and I can tell you John I've been I've been speaking with a lot of uh, uh, liberal members there are way more people sitting on the sidelines than there are helping the campaign yes which is disastrous for absolutely the party. and you know a lot of people are saying you know you know they're trying to find different explanations the fact that there's certain communities that have been taken for granted is a fact yes the fact and I've absolutely and I've said it uh, and I just never understood how the people at the party and even higher up in the cabinets and you know the the the, the, the you know the, the the senior staffers that had some sort of influence uh, to the leader could not see that this was happening. That well, we, that these communities. Have so a couple of things happened. And we're talking about here just for everyone watching the anglophone community and the allophones. You know the the non-francophones yeah, exactly. living in Quebec. But you know, you were a candidate last time. You, you dealt with a team that had won one election, that had run a pretty tight, successful campaign in 2014, um, but against a very unpopular premier. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's a couple things. One, a lot of staff moved on. A lot of talented staff from the Charest era moved on to have yeah. other things. Yeah. Um, the Couillard era was notorious for treating people like crap didn't really care what anybody had to say was not interested in anybody's input that's, that's just a fact okay it was the, the loyalty that Jean Charest and his team built was based on relationships and the Couillard team said we don't really care We're, we know better and that already distanced them from people and then you, and, and that came from the leader, and it came from the top staff, who couldn't care less what people had to say. When you add to that that then a lot of talented people left, both elected officials and staff, walked, you're left with not the B team or the C team, but you're, you're way down the level. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the people that Dominic Anglade is surrounded by... Uh, you know, with all due respect, people who put on the time and effort, I, I salute them, but they're not, they're not very good. Yeah, and that reflects, of course, on Dominique Anglade's leadership. I mean, I, I, and I think she's a fantastic woman. She's very smart, brilliant. But when we're, when we're talking about leadership, 
the fact that you haven't been able to or not been able to, uh, or not haven't been able to see that the people around you aren't the most efficient or the most adequate people to get you through this campaign it does reflect on your leadership right it has to um, but again it, it I have I have plenty of criticisms of her but she also had slim pickings because most of the people had been alienated okay and you know let's let's look at this campaign they were days into the campaign still looking for candidates and they landed up sending staff to be candidates this was the worst start of any campaign that I've ever experienced I forget about the start I mean it's been one horrible campaign for the liberal but party. this is a fixed election date we know this election date yeah. going back for four years <laughs> it's not like they came by surprise and shit we're not ready you knew that in October of 2022 there's an election campaign that's right first time ever that I've witnessed this that you're going into the campaign without a full slate of your 125 candidates yes we're seeing staffers and Senior staffers, right? That's right. When you're seeing guys, uh, or you know, Julie White and uh, Charles Robin, these are people that are supposed to be on the bus consulting and advising the leader. And if they're not there, then who is? Uh, and in writings, that they're not going to win. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you have top people who then go to work in writings. Isabelle also went mm-hmm. to work running a writing. Now, now her writing is very vulnerable this time around. But when she went to run, she was a senior staffer and ran in a by-election in a in a safe seat. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you wanted a strong well, person there. Like you, okay, exactly. but if you're running your senior staff in writings that you're not going to win, what, what are you even saying? It shows desperation. Um, it, it, it shows disorganization. It shows desperation. And um, at some point, the leader needs to be aware of this and... If the people who are around her aren't performing, then fire them and bring in people who are exactly. who can. Um, and that clearly didn't happen. So that that yes, the buck stops with her. I agree. But again, she had some slim pickings to start with. You're, you mentioned leadership, and I want to get back to something that Dominique Anglade has been repeating from the beginning of the campaign. And of course, from a communications perspective, she has no choice other than uh, to say that. Right when they're asking her about after the campaign on the night of october 3rd or the morning of october 4th where will she be people are obviously assuming that the liberal party is going to lose i think it's pretty obvious right now that there are very slim chances that the tide changes and they make government let's be honest here not slim there's zero chance let's be honest (laughs) exactly so when you're a leader of a political party that ends up with much less seats than where uh where you were at the beginning of the campaign i think it's almost automatic that you're gone the fact that she keeps saying that, you know, look, I'm the leader of the Liberal Party, and at the end of the campaign, I'll remain the leader of the Liberal Party. What does that say? What is that? Like, I mean, and again, she has no other choice but to say that, I, right? I kind of hate the question. I understand why journalists ask it, but I kind of hate it's it. It's a stupid question. Because what else is she going to say? Yeah. Well, you know, it looks bad, and, uh, and if you lose, I'm going to leave because, you know, obviously it's my fault. Like, you don't say that during the campaign. Yeah. Uh, but journalists always ask that question. And they're asking to be lied to because the candidate's <laughs> going to respond to them. Oh, I'm going to stay. We're going to win. Neither of which are true. Now, candidates, leadership candidates, they, they need to believe. That's their part of their job as well. And uh, their staff around them have to support them and make sure that they are confident. Yeah. Because otherwise, if they're not confident, that'll be obvious when they go out and talk to people. So... You live in a little bit of a bubble. You build a cocoon. You ran as a candidate. 
At some point, you had the polling internal. You had a sense of what was on the ground. Yeah. You had a chance, but you also were realistic. Was I going to win? Was I going to lose? You, you, you have to go into it. I, I've never been a candidate. I've worked on campaigns. You know, but again, you have to I, have that confidence. But again, there's nothing different that you can answer. But That's look, right. We'll, we'll look at Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon, for example. He was on Tout le monde en parle last Sunday. And this is the first time I ever see this, where he said that, you know, our goal is to be the opposition. He realized that, look, we're not making government, that's for sure. So let's stop the, the buffoonish statements over here that we're going to make government tomorrow and I'll be the premier of Quebec. My goal is to become premier. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? It's all it's all a matter of, it's all relative. You know, going into the campaign, the question was, is will the Parti Québécois exist after this election? Will they have any seats? I and I think everybody was confident they would have one seat mm. because in Matan Matepedia, they're winning. Garrett. I mean, it's not, yeah, yeah. not even, somebody did a poll. I asked the other yeah, day, why did anybody even spend ridiculous. the money to do a poll? Okay, Pascal Bayerbe is one of the best MNAs, writing MNAs, like the work he does locally yeah. and is the most appreciated. So he's winning. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he could run for the rhinoceros party. He would still win. Um, and, and tip my hat to him. But beyond that, you know, when you when you, when the alternative is not existing or you need me to be a real opposition well so and and at this point you know you are 5 days out you have to you have to figure out what's your objective at this yeah. point and the objective of the Parti Québécois is to get a ha- better position than they were the when they were before the election right well maybe but you know, save les meubles. Yeah. You know, save the furniture, save the house. Um, if they can get a couple seats, if he can get himself elected, which uh, a week ago seemed impossible as well, now, and now yeah. looks like he has a very good chance of winning his own seat. Mm-hmm. You know, once you have that beachhead, at least you're there, um, and you're going to see all effort by the Conservative Party in Chauveau to get Eric Duram elected. That's what you're going to have that beachhead. Uh, that's it's quite obvious that that's what you focus on but again we want to go back to the liberals Dominique Anglaise last day of her campaign is going to be in uh, Idla Madeleine and in Kujuak up north instead of in her own riding where she may lose or in the sort of all the uh, all the south of the island Verdun Marquette Marguerite Bourgeois which are all vulnerable those are seats that they've held my entire lifetime, can, they're all vulnerable, and she's going to be campaigning can you even attempt somewhere to else. Explain that. Yes, I can explain it to you. Uh, they're delusional, <laughs> and in they are t- they are saying they insiders on the bus are saying that their internals show that they could win thirty seats. Oh my goodness! Uh huh. Yep. So I think they're delusional. I don't have their internals. Um, what? I, I, I've seen, we've seen polling that's all over the place in the last few days. In the last week, we've seen polling that's all over the place for second place. Okay? For the opposition parties. Fasc- Not for the CAQ, but... fascinating is that? That, for the first time at least that I could remember, they're focusing on who's going to be second. It's like, okay, obviously it's a given that Legault's, gov- Legault's party is going to be, uh, is going to make it back into government. We don't know exactly how many seats. It's probably going to be a record high, like in the mid to high 90s. Uh... And the fact that there are four parties, again, according to what the polls are suggesting, that are fighting for second place, yep. which I don't think is going to, 
is accurate at all. Maybe in terms of votes, but not in terms of seats. Right. But we haven't seen a wire-to-wire in a while. I mean, Ontario, we did. I would say this is very similar to Ontario. Right. Where Doug Ford was coasting, and he coasted, and the two opposition parties were fighting for second place, Mm -hmm. and were both awful and both leaders of the opposition parties yeah. resigned immediately after. They don't have four, five parties. They have really three. They have one green, but they really have three parties there. Um, so we've seen it. But, okay, in Ontario, in Quebec, it's, it's been a, a long first. time. It's a first. It's definitely been a long time uh, to see a wire to wire. You know who's going to win. And yeah, there's been only movement amongst the second place. So I think it's still going to be fun watching Monday night. Because, you know, it's going to determine what happens next. So, you know, who's the opposition party? And where do we go from there? Are we, are we seeing the end of the PQ and the liberals? It's possible. As the real oppositions or as the real alternatives, which we did for basically all of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and are we going to see more of a model like France? Uh, where you have a centrist party and then you have the extreme left and extreme right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happened. In France, you had the center right and the center left. And they fought for power for, well, the Fifth Republic. Right. Um, so you had the De Gaulle descendant parties that people came today and you had the socialists. Those are the two parties. Those two parties are French parties at this point mm-hmm. in France. And you have the extreme left and the extreme right and Macron centrist party. Could we have that here? where you have the Conservative Party of Quebec, you have Quebec Solidaire, and you have the CAC in the middle. All right. You know, is that is that a possible outcome? Um, and you're seeing that in other places too. And what happens is the centrist party is going to win most of the time because it, yeah, it, it gets most, yeah. it represents most of the mainstream population. But every once in a while, that party is going to lose power. And now instead of going back and forth between center this and center that, you're going to be... Going to an extreme, like in Italy, for example, mm. where you go to the hard right. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's I don't know where we're going to go after this election, but if, if Quebec Solidaire is the opposition, which I think is still a bit of a long shot, but it's possible. It's a possibility, yeah. Okay. Then that becomes a new narrative of politics. And then they position themselves after eight years of the CAC being in power as a real alternative. If they still can't break through and be the opposition, then there are going to be questions internally, and you may see the base of that party, which is extremely wildly crazy left, try to say we weren't left enough. The moderate Gabriel Nadeau Dubois vision isn't is too moderate. It's too centrist. And go back far left, maybe. Um, like, is that an option? Or I mean, I you know what? If the conservatives don't win a single seat, is this really just a protest party? Just for this campaign post-COVID, what was going on, and then they're done. Um, these are all the questions let's that talk, we have let, to analyze. Let's talk about the Conservative Party, because we've yep. seen in the last couple of years this this growing support for conservatism in uh, in Quebec, really. Um, the polls are showing maybe one seat for, uh, for the Conservative Party, and that maybe one seat is not even uh, the leader. We're talking That's about right. should. I feel feel like they're underestimated and I don't know how you think but uh, I see them gaining more than one seat possibly three around there I don't know how you see this but I, I feel like they're completely underestimated in the polls I could be wrong 
But based on what I see, based on what I hear, um, it wouldn't shock me if they do much better than the polls are suggesting. It's possible. It's very hard to to predict that because um, you're probably talking about a number of people who've never voted before or don't normally vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking about a party that has very little apparatus. Uh, they don't have like a political machine to get out the vote. And as you know, on election day during advanced polling, getting people to go vote is really the name of the game. John, I don't know, man. Look, I'm seeing, and from the very beginning of the campaign, their machine seems to have been on point. They won, in my opinion, they won the the, the game with the, the posters. They were up and ready in every riding. They were they, they were done. Uh, I mean, they're not completely lost to me. When you're talking about yeah, so lack they, of the, organization... The posters, a third of which were misspelled, the name of the writing. <laughs> that was funny. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, the machine, I mean, they got their stuff up. They were prepared. They were organized. I mean, when you contrast that with what we saw with the Liberal Party this year, I would tell you it's the Liberal Party that has the lack of that uh, No, no, no. I'm not comparing yeah. them to the Liberals. But where they are focusing, it's really a head-to-head between them and the CAC. And I... I my gut tells me that the CAC is really a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. They've been working this for four years. Yeah. Their, their director general of the party who runs the campaign is a political genius in terms of mobilization and getting votes out, Brigitte Legault. Mm-hmm. She's a machine. She knows how to get it done. Okay, And they are ready for all of this. They've identified their voters. And again, I, I, I agree with you that I think they conservatives could get one, two, three seats um, south shore of Quebec area. Uh, it's certainly not impossible. It's hard to predict mm-hmm. because polling is not going right. to catch those people necessarily. Um, but, but it's very hard to translate it. And I've seen a comparison or, or the, the, the connection between Pierre Polyev doing so well in Quebec, surprisingly well, mm-hmm. beating Jean Charest in his home turf. Uh, and how that's going to translate. And again, hard to extrapolate. You're talking about, yeah, he won 72 out of 78 ridings for Polyev. True. Um, but we're talking about he won 300 to 200 votes. Yeah. As opposed to 20,000 votes in a riding. Right. So it, it's very hard to take success that there's an openness on the voters' part to something else that's more right-wing and actually going out and voting for them. Um, I think that's the thing that I want to watch on election night is see how it actually translates. Uh, But, you know, that's the one thing that is, I think, impossible to predict. And if you've seen Eric Duram, by the way, in the last two days, the way he's talking, he's been saying things like, you know, he's been criticizing a little bit the the system, you know, in terms of first past the post. Mm Mm-hmm that they're going to get uh, 17% of the vote, but they may not get any seats, right? So I think he's trying to already lay down the narrative that it's not his fault. It's, it's not the party's fault. It's the system's fault. Maybe the media's fault. I don't think I'll question the election results is illegitimate, like that people cheated. But even we've seen this back and forth on conservative supporters about using using pens instead of right. pencils. Yeah, because someone's going to erase it. I mean, we've worked elections, and I got to tell you, election results in Quebec, 
They're, they're accurate. They're, they're accurate. They're credible. You okay. can't, you can't contest it. So, so, you know, to even have that be questioned turns my stomach a bit. Um, and I, 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 that's the big question. Let's talk about major issues now. Bill 96, obviously we spoke a little bit of in the beginning with the Anglos and the, the Allophone communities as well. Do you feel like this is an issue where Legault has kind of drawn a line and said, it's the regions that I'm about and Montreal is, is, is its own beast and whatever happens there happens there and that reality does not reflect what happens in the rest of this province? I mean, yes, he said he's he's pretty much said that. Mm. Okay, that we us uh, we us in Montreal sort of look down on everyone else. The rest of Quebec. He said that well, he said when that it came the to bridge, the bridge yeah, or yeah, the tunnel the bridge, in yeah, yeah. Quebec City. No, but he said it about the 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 foundry horn in Abitibi. So in Rouen, like that's part of this narrative is like the 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 snooty Montrealers telling us what but to do. That, but they're it? also targeting. Five six ridings that's, in Montreal. Say, isn't it strange? He already has seats in Montreal. Yeah, but and you he's know what? To get more, how do you? Bill ninety six, Bill ninety six, is supported by a massive majority of Quebecers. It is, mm. and that includes a majority of people in Montreal. Certainly, it's where the biggest opposition is, but in certain ridings in Montreal, which are ninety percent francophone, what what what, mm-hmm. what does it hurt him? Yeah. Okay, so if he's only aiming to win, to, to win the seats he's going to win and that he has a chance to win, then where's the downside to him? And again, like on Bill 21, and we can get to the more specifics, but Legault has found very brilliantly sweet spots. Okay, he places himself as the moderate. Because look who voted against Bill 96. The Liberals <laughs> the and PQ. the Parti Québécois. Yeah. Okay? And he says, you know, the PQ says Bill 101 in CJABS, Bill 101 everywhere, yeah, more Bill enough. 101. It's not even close to strict enough. We need to, like, you know, times 2, times 10, times 100 on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have the Liberals who are saying, well, well, during Bill 96, flip-flopping, but then voting against it and saying they would they would change it and minimize it or downplay it or tweak it, whatever. Um, he's found a sweet spot. That's that's smart politics. Mm-hmm. If you find where the majority of the population is, and you have people on one side and on the other criticizing you, you're probably you found an equilibrium. Okay, within his party, there was a strong push, including by the language minister, to apply Bill 101 to CJEPS. And Legault said no. That was that was him. Mm-hmm. He said no. Yeah. Okay, now, it doesn't mean I like Bill 96, but I would like it even less if they'd applied it to CJEPS. Yeah. So, when you're, now if you're doing this not from an Anglo perspective, you're doing it from a political analysis perspective, it's really very smart. Mm -hmm. Again, Bill 21, this is not a matter of defending it or saying I agree with it. But remember what the Charter of Values was nine years ago. It was every single publicly paid employee, a doctor. The person working on the 17th floor in a cubicle that never saw another person of the public, okay? They all were told they couldn't wear their religious symbols. Here, he took what was considered, when this issue sort of started to surface 15 years ago, the Bouchard-Taylor compromise of only people in positions of authority. He added teachers and said, boom, there's my compromise. 
I'm not going overboard. I don't care the person in Revenue Quebec who answers the phone what the hell they wear because it doesn't matter. Yeah. So he looks. The liberals are against it. The PQ are against it. He says, look, I found the sweet spot. Right. Okay? And Quebec is not just Montreal. Montreal is underserved, underrepresented. Mm -hmm. But it, that ain't changing anytime soon. So you can sit there and go, it's unfair, bad, 96 bad, 21 bad. Keep going through the list of things that you don't agree with. Don't offer much of a solution that's going to have a consensus. Now, consensus is a big word. How do you get everybody on board? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Okay. But you need to figure out how to find a sweet spot. Oh, no. And he's clearly, he's clearly found you know, his base. And had the liberals 15 years ago implemented Bouchard-Taylor, I suspect people would have been pissy about it. They wouldn't have used the notwithstanding clause. It would have gone to court. We would have seen what happened. It wouldn't have included teachers, but it would have been judges and prosecutors and police. And probably would have evacuated the issue. Mm -hmm. Instead, they let it linger. They were not, not that they weren't decisive. They didn't want to touch it. Mm -hmm. So they sort of went like this. And they allowed other people to say, well, somebody has to do something. Right. Okay. That's politics. That's, name me the issue. You, you have to find a way to sell it. It has to be something that most people want to buy. You have to be able to show that it's actually going to do what it is you're saying it's going to do. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, this, the, the issue of laicite, of secularism, has been totally, totally uh, manipulated for votes and for mm -hmm. populist reasons. Same thing for language. Or is it legitimate to say that Quebec's the only francophone jurisdiction in North America? Um, it's 8 million people in a sea of 380 million people. We have to have measures to protect French. By the way, there are people who think that's gibberish. I, I, I don't. But on the same token, how do we calculate the decrease of French? If you speak another language at home because you're an immigrant, your kids go to French school, they speak fluently in French. At home, you speak to them in whatever language. They go to work. They go to school. They speak French. Their kids will speak French. Then you're protecting French. Now we're starting to say well, what you speak at home is also a threat to French. Right. I think that that's... So we haven't called that out. We haven't... We've let the other guys set the narrative and say, we have our experts. They say French is threatened. Well, let's have that discussion. But no, the liberals are so afraid to have that discussion that they lost the battle before it even started because right. they decided they wanted to please everyone so they were going to expand French courses in CIGEP until they wanted to amend their own amendment. Right. That, 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 that I, I mean... Uh, well, I mean, we're all just shaking our head going, I, like, how could they... What like, happened? what... Okay, what happened what happened? there? I mean, um, I, I, and that's really... That describes it all. That Like, that just... It shows exactly how they managed the opposition. Uh, I mean, really not effective. Uh, and uh, again, complete lack of understanding on how that could happen. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But and again, I, when you come and you're the leader of the party and you say, here's what we want to accomplish. Here's our objective. Here are the key points. Here's what we're not going to bend on. This is what we believe. Okay. Now we have to go out and get support. We have to figure out where people are at, 
how it matches up with our own ideas and values, okay, and make that presentable. That's that's how you go out and win. But I don't think they had a game plan. They started out, they wanted to be an ecological left-wing party, but that was nationalist. So who were they competing with? Were they competing with Quebec Solidaire? Strictly, they were yeah. not going to be. Where were, were there really a lot of votes? Is that a big pool? So you go back to the beginning of Anglade taking power in the Liberal Party and say, where, where are we going? What do we want to accomplish? How do we win? How do we speak to Quebecers? There was no plan. It wow. feels like they had no compass. Uh, and, you know, we said that in the beginning. And, I mean, everyone knows where I stand. I mean, uh, there's no surprise that, that I'm a member of the party. But I remember at the very be- at the very end of last campaign in 2018, where there was a meeting and people were wondering, well, what's the next step, right? I mean, they hadn't lived a defeat of that magnitude, you know, quote-unquote, in years. And everyone was adamant about chasing Legault uh, on the nationalist front. And there was a group, very small group, which I was in, by the way, that was thinking, guys, we lost that battle. Forget it. We cannot run after Legault on the nationalist front. Let's just focus on what we're strong in, right? On what makes the Liberal Party the Liberal Party. They did exactly what the majority of the members wanted. Let's, uh, you know, we have to prove that we are the nationalist party. And it went nowhere. I mean, Jono, the Liberal Party was fighting in opposition, not with the government, but with the other opposition parties on who was the most nationalist party. Listen, first of all, what is being nationalist? Going around in circles, there's so much crap happening. What does being nationalist mean? Okay, how do you define nationalist? It's a question. And how do you... You know, 15 years ago, I remember during the 2007 election campaign, I think it was seven, maybe eight, where one of the things was there was a fleur-de-lis, and it said this belongs to all of us. Mm-hmm. Because this notion that you're not a good Quebecer, even amongst Francophones, even if you take out non-Francophones, you're not a good Quebecer if you're not for Bill 21 or Bill 96 because you don't want to. You don't want to protect French. You're against French because you don't think Bill 96 is a smart, effective way to achieve the state objective, which is to protect French. Mm-hmm. You know, then you're letting other people control the narrative. You're not coming out and saying this is how we do it. Being proud. That's also being nationalist. Mm-hmm. But this idea that you're not nationalist if you're not protecting French by doing X, Y, and Z. Well, there are different ways to do it. But you have to have a plan, not just say, that's bad. But, you know, where are we going when right now separatism is not an issue? I know that Plamondon was saying that, that, that you know, he, he's for separation and he would have a referendum right away. It's not an issue because he's not going to win. So no one's particularly concerned by it. Okay, and you've seen the liberals a couple of times sort of hint at, well, uh, Francois Legault's hidden they agenda. Need that door. He's they really need that a separ- door so desperately. But, but, you know, yes, they were the party of the economy, but were they really, or were they the party against referendums, and that made them the party of the economy because referendums and separatism are bad for the economy. Right. Okay, a chicken or egg on that one, but ultimately, like, what's the identity of the liberals if separatism isn't an issue? And that's the question they haven't answered. That until they answer that, all the rest of it, being nationalist, not being nationalist, how do you be a party that speaks to all Quebecois, Allo, Franco, Montreal, Région? How do you be party for all those when your raison d'être is against referendums? Yeah. 
You're not, what else do you stand for? Okay, if you're the party of the economy, which Legault has totally won that now, mm-hmm. but if you're the party of the economy, then your entire economic platform is based on blue hydrogen or green hydrogen or whatever. Like, it there's no other plan. Okay, if, if Dominique Anglada were to win the election, who would be her finance minister? Mm. I mean, I right? Yeah. That, that was the party. You remember eight years ago? Philippe Couillard? Not like the world's greatest campaigner or most dynamic human, okay? He came out and he had his big announcement and he had uh, Carlos Leteo and Martin Quater and Jacques Daou, his trio économique. Well, I mean, Daou was a bit of a dot of a minister, but his trio économique were people with serious street cred. Yeah. People yeah. were like, ooh, these are serious guys, okay? Now, where's where are the liberals on this? So again, it goes back to being, all these things are related. It's can't, they can't get good candidates. People don't want to run for them. What do they stand for? What's their plan? You know, you can criticize the Parti Québécois, but you know what? He's run a good campaign, and the reason is he has a position. He's being honest about it, and he'll get what he gets. But there's there's value in that. If you have no position... What's going to happen on the 3rd of October, Jono? I think that the likely scenario <laughs> is status quo. All that, all that we've said, the likely scenario is the liberals will be a weakened opposition, but they'll probably be the official opposition. They'll have official party status because they have a floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Quebec, Quebec Solidaire will be behind them. And that's where I think the real biggest question is. Is can Quebec Solidaire catch the Liberals? Some of the polling has them ahead of them. Some of them, some of the polling has them way behind. Mm-hmm. Their vote's less efficient, um, but they have a pretty good machine of getting at their vote. Um, again, their vote is also amongst younger people who don't vote as much. So they have a challenge, okay, translating votes into seats. Uh, the Liberals, I think, West End and Montreal are still going to vote for them. Yeah. And so what you're left with is. Oh, well, the Conservatives get one seat or no seats or two seats. Will the PQ get only one or will it get two or three? Um, or really maybe five because they've seemed to have had a mini surge. I mean, those are the questions. But th- they'll be the third or fourth, sorry, the fourth or fifth parties if there are. Right. Um, if you want me to predict, you know, can the Liberals, can the Conservatives get a seat? Maybe one. Mm-hmm. Will the PQ get more than one? I'm starting to feel like maybe two. Probably, yeah. Uh, will Quebec Solidaire pass the Liberals? Probably not, but they'll probably be uh, only a couple seats behind. I think they'll lose their seats in the regions. They might make some gains in Montreal. Well, I think that's exactly it. There are 10 so seats. they're going to come out about even. Yeah, that's right. Okay, there are 10 seats now. They could lose uh, in Abitibi. And, uh, Jean Lesage, Sherbrooke. They'll lose one in Quebec City. Um, the Sherbrooke is going to be neck and neck. Um, the but then there's Verdun and Saint Saint Anne. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And and Maurice Richard. That's going to the CAC. And um, do you think Marquette is going uh, is going uh, is leaving the Liberals? Marquette or Maurice Richard? Well, I think Maurice Richard is almost guaranteed. I think it's well. It's leaving the Liberals. The question is: Is it CAC or is it? Quebec Solidaire. I think it'll be CAC. Um, yeah. I think it'll be close. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think that's what the last five days now are, um, will be those seats, those seats that are close and is, is their momentum. It's the big mo. And I don't know where the moment is going because the polls because the polls are a little bit all over the place. Um, I figure there's, you know, there was a leger last night. There's one more leger coming on the weekend. Mm -hmm. The main streets that have daily trackers have Quebec Solidaire much, much lower. Yeah. Okay. But they are doing phone calls. Uh, younger people are less likely to answer phone surveys. Mm. Um, and the others are online. Right. Okay. So there was an ecos yesterday at Quebec Solidaire at 20%. <laughs> and that was also internet. Right. Um, Again, I don't know which yeah. polls to totally believe. So, <laughs> betting on polls these days, you can't. But it very you hard. Idea. I mean, there are a lot more. Uh, there are much more. Um, uh, I, I think I can predict that the CAC is going to win a comfortable majority. Well, that's yeah, okay. I mean, I, mean, that's, I that's think scary. the polls have been consistent in that. We're going to finish this up, John. I don't want to go too much of your time, but the Liberal Party leader, obviously, they're, they're going to, there's going to be a leadership party. I, I, I think it's delusional to think that the Dominique Anglade is going to want to stay on. There are some whispers that I'm hearing. Wanting to stay on is different than will stay on. Wanting to stay on, if she oh, wins oh. her seat and wants to stay on, I mean, she hey, can listen. do whatever she wants. She wants. She uh, wants she, well, she loses her seats. That you know, that'll really be the end. But yeah. I mean, you know, listen. Look federally. Andrew Shear lost and stayed on, then got booted. Aaron O'Toole lost, yeah. stayed on, and then got turfed. So, you know, you, you're when you become leader of a party and you run, okay. And I'm not interested. I would never yeah. do it. Yeah. But you know, you're committed to it. You really have no, to you believe. Need to, you need to prove you have to have the ego. Well. You have to have the ego for it. And when you have the ego for it, and it's, I don't think it's a vice. It's you need to have it then it's hard to walk away from it. Let's talk about leadership, because for sure I, I, I'm suspecting that whether she wants to stay or not is irrelevant, because I don't think that the, the membership is going to allow that. Well... Uh, leadership race, do you think... Let, let's that just say that yeah. the membership and the powers that be in the party, I don't know what that, if that exists anymore. Yeah, well, there is something there. I mean, I don't know. I'm not it. sure, okay? Like, what's really left? Right. I think it's bare bones. They have barely any members, and the powers that be are all gone what's going to happen now in terms of leadership forget about the interim because we don't know what's going to happen in fact i don't even know who's going to be left in the caucus to assume that important role and if they have the ability of course they're going to have to find someone so i think that's interim leader mark tongay you think you, you don't think he's uh, eyeing the well the, he, the leadership he may delusionally eye it yes yeah you're right uh but so yeah so i don't know who's going to be left to to assume the interim that, and that's going to, whoever, like the, the most competent ones, and I'm thinking of André Fortin, Marc Tanguay, are probably going to be looking at the leadership, which means yes. who's there for the interim, which is bad, because if there's no one competent enough to assume that responsibility, then for a good year, year and a half, you're left with a party in opposition that is probably not going to be as effective um, as they should be. Do you think I that agree. the leader should come from inside or outside? Because that's the big debate now happening internally in the party, and I can tell you that for a fact. <laughs> Even though, even though publicly nobody's saying that, for sure I'm telling you that there's discussions uh, to that effect. I think parties rush too often to set the rules and have their new leader. I think they should take their time. I think that the, there are some lessons to be learned from the Liberal Party of Canada in 2000, 
after 2011 eight, election. Eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, after Gnatiev left, they found a good interim leader in Bob Ray, mm -hmm. so they had that option. Right. Okay. Which the Liberal Party now doesn't. Which which the PLQ probably will not. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that's an issue. I agree with you, um, but they took their time. Now, they had a big name, at least in terms of name recognition, who won, and I don't know that that person exists for the PLQ, but you never know. I don't really care if it's on the inside or the outside, okay? Yeah, you hear names. You want to parachute Francois-Philippe Champagne in? I mean, I don't know if he's interested, okay? But you want to do that? A guy from the region, a francophone, who could speak to, you know, is a good retail politician? Okay, there's an argument to be made. The counter-argument is he has no base in the party. Well, I just said that I'm not sure there's much of a base yeah. to the party. Yeah. Okay. Um... Andre Fortin, the problem is, is that, you know, some people will say it's too closely affiliated with the Liberal Party of Canada. Mm. That being said, poll after poll has the Liberals and the Bloc still at about the same level. Right. And that's been the case for, what, five years now? So the Liberal brand, the federal Liberal brand in Quebec is not, is not in bad shape. Right. Okay. Um, it's an option. But I don't think, I, it, I don't think it matters whether it's inside or out or something, I think you have to figure out the profile of what you want. And I think it needs to be man or woman who average Quebecois can connect with, who has retail political sense, okay, that people, like it or not, Francois Legault, to so many Quebecois, is like, he's a little like me. Yeah. You know, he was very successful, but he came from very poor origins. He's, he's, you know, he's your average Quebecois. He and understands. He's not perfect. And we okay. get it and we like it. Yeah. 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 And, he, and he sort of has this folksy type of approach. Yeah. Um, I think you need to have that. Uh, I, I think it's a problem that what I'm saying partially is, is that a black woman, I'm not sure Quebecers are ready for that. I don't think she's doing poorly necessarily because of that. But I don't think it helps. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a reality. Um, I wouldn't say we should be excluding somebody of color or of a different ethnic origin. Yeah. Um, but I think that if you want to beat the Lego machine, you, and, and, and you can speak to Anglophones and address their concerns, but you can only do that if Quebecois think you're one of them, you really like them. You can't talk and deal with Anglophones and find compromises and say, I'm willing to give on this. If you're only going to be perceived as really talking to only Anglophones and Allophones, yeah. that's the problem. It's a perception issue. But Dominique Anglade is perceived as, you know, her, you know, occasional veerings to nationalists, you know, or trying to be. Ultimately, she's perceived as beholden to Anglophones and Allophones. Yeah. That's what she's perceived as. And if you have that perception, then the rest of Quebec isn't going to support you. You need to find somebody who can speak to everyone in Quebec. That's it. I don't know who that is. If you're looking for the magic but also, person... But also, also to find whoever may be that competent and experienced person to come and take over a party that will be where the party we assume is going to be is even harder to imagine, right? I mean, if you're uh, some really big name personality that could do this job... 
would you come and get involved in the party with, let's say, around 15 seats? Well, it allows you to build something. It allows you to have a lot of control over it because you're going to be the one building it. Okay? You can bring in fresh blood because there's not much there already. Um, And when you're you're going up against a two-term government that eventually people... It's the beauty of democracy, eventually. And when you're in power, you hate that beauty of democracy. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah, your time comes up. Everybody eventually loses. Everybody. Because... You know, for a while, sometimes you have crappy opposition. One day, the liberals federally are going to lose. Yeah. They'll lose because people are tired of them. And there's an alternative. Until both those things happen, both. Mm. If one's happening, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And that's what Sheer or O'Toole proved, is that there may have been a little fatigue, but Canadians were not ready to go to them. Yeah. Okay? And will Polyev be that? That's a whole other discussion. But that'll be true with the CAC as well. What will happen with the cleavages between the nationalist and the more federalist business arms of the CAC? What if Francois Legault isn't there? Well, that changes everything because there's real well, yeah, lack of cohesion within the party. You have guys like uh, uh, Bernard Drinville and if Caroline Saint-Hilaire wins in Sherbrooke... And simon jolin Barrette. That's going to create a lot of that's right. in the caucus. So there, sure. there will be opportunities, but you need... To, Forget about what the other parties are. The Liberal Party has to define itself as a party of all Quebecers. And right now, it's not perceived as that. Right. And, and the results are going to show that. It's going to be elected only in seats with a significant Anglophone or Allophone population. Yeah. John, it's always a pleasure to see you. I'm not going to take up much of your time. Um, I just wish uh, that we can see each other more often, dude. I mean, uh, you're all over the place now and uh, you're a busy guy and I'm happy for you? You'll, you'll come back and visit in Griffintown when they finish. <laughs> well, that might be in the 2040s, so I hope <laughs> it's sooner than that. Um, but you're welcome to come sit outside and have a coffee. and um, I, I love how Griffintown enjoy enjoy yeah. Enjoy the scenery. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's some good scenery out here. And um, yeah. We'll be exchanging messages on the 3rd for sure. Oh, yeah. Better than last time when we were exchanging messages uh, on October 1st, I think it was, was, uh, four years ago. Thanks a lot, buddy. My pleasure.